Well, the reason why they're turning over $120 million is because they have a lot of direct contact with their customers. Exactly. They, they do a lot of connection. They do a lot of calling. They talk to them. They Hi, I'm Rand Fishkin from Oz, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy from ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hello, everyone. Our guest today has been a sales professional, a marketing consultant, a trainer, an international speaker, and a coach for the last 25 years. He's helped clients generate millions of dollars in businesses all over the world. He's conducted over 5,000 one-to-one strategic sessions with managing directors, CEOs, entrepreneurs in over 140 different industry groups. In the last 18 months, he's helped launch 27 consulting businesses that have generated over $4.2 million in consulting contracts around the world. He cuts through all the fluff and gives you real actionable strategies that actually work. I'm delighted to welcome the founder of ConsultingUnleashed.com, Mr. John Logar. Welcome, John. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for having me on board. It's great to be here. It's an honor to have you, man. So, John, we've talked a few times before, and you've clearly got a gift when it comes to attracting and converting customers for businesses with very powerful strategies. So, could you talk to us a little bit about your most successful customer acquisition and retention strategies and how you help drive profitability to businesses doing that? Well, the biggest thing, I guess, with uh, acquiring customers is to know the customer first. And I think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of businesses make is that they treat their business like a promotion. So uh, a lot of businesses operate very knee-jerk reactions. So there's no strategy to them growing. I mean, one of the questions that I ask most CEOs that I speak to is, you know, what is your projected growth rate for the year? And most people would say it would be, well, you know, as long as we're doing 10% better this time, this time than we did this time last year, essentially. And my next question is, do you have a strategic plan to actually generate that extra 10%? And, you know, I would I can count on my hand in the last, you know, 15 years that I've asked that question, the number of CEOs that have said to me, yes, we have a strategic plan for that growth. Wow. So, so in terms of talking about, you know, the best strategies for acquiring customers, I think the, the first place to start is to actually know who your customers are. Um, and, and if you do, if you are clear about that, then you can, you know, then the, be- the next best thing is make an offer. And, you know, the n- number one thing that most businesses don't do is they don't offer enough. Um, and in today's economy, speed and distribution and access is everything. So from a strategic point of view, probably the best acquisition strategy is to understand the markets that you serve as, as a business, understand your niches that you serve, understand what the customer is worth to you in terms of the capacity, and also understand how much you're willing to pay to buy that customer um, as well. So that's a really important point as well. So if you know, if you have those basic fundamental understandings and you're really clear about you know where you're heading as a, as a business. Then the number one strategy is to make an offer, and if the offer is relevant to the market, um, you're going to make sales. If it's not relevant, then the results are going to speak for themselves very very quickly. So to me, um, if you know if you want cash, make an offer. You know, right. uh, and the first place to start is with your existing customer base. And the biggest mistake that most people make in business is that they have their customers will say things like, "I didn't know that you did that," or they'll buy. Some of the it's it's amazing. I work in the digital. A lot of people that I work with work in the digital marketing space, and uh, I often hear stories where 
you know, they might do SEO or they might do Facebook for people. And they also do websites and they'll do other things for their clients, but uh, the client only knows them for the service that they buy. And so all of a sudden, the, the client comes back to the, the, the customer and says, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, we've gone to a web agency and we're going to do our website. And then, the you know, the Facebook company says, yeah, but we do websites. Why, why didn't you talk to us, you know? And the, and the statement comes up, well, we didn't know that you did that. Right, um, and so the reason why that occurs is because you're not nurturing and educating your customers about what they can take advantage of or how you can add value to them. So the so the biggest the, the best strategy that you can have if you are in an existing business, if you want to generate cash flow today, go to your existing customers and make an offer with other services you provide, um, and make it relevant. You know, uh, is is probably the big thing. So, uh, you know, customer acquisition uh, can be very, very fast. I mean, it, you know, uh, these days he who he or she who has the most money will win. Uh-huh. You know, it's all about advertising promotion. And one of the biggest things that I see in a lot of businesses, they don't invest enough in marketing, um, in, in their marketing. So, so first point of reference um, and the fastest way to get cash is to make an offer to people that you already know. The second thing to do is if you understand who your customers and your market are, it's, very, it's actually very easy to find them. So if you're really clear about who your client is, um, then uh, you know, take an understanding. If you understand their buying motivations or their habits, then it's very quickly to actually align your marketing strategy uh, in in line with how they actually make purchases. And so, this is a lot. Another thing a lot of businesses don't do is they don't spend enough time understanding the behaviours of their customers. So, I have this. I often uh, uh, quote this list. Uh, it's the top five thousand fastest growing companies in the US. There's also a top five thousand fastest growing companies in Europe. Inc. Magazine actually publishes this list every year, and the and the first thing I look at that list is I look at who's not on the list, you know, because everybody who's on the list is on the list, and it's very easy to find them. The thing the thing with that list is uh, it gives you demographics, so it shows you companies in specific industry groups that are growing at a rate of between anywhere from fifty percent per annum up to a thousand percent per annum. Wow! Now that sort of growth rate is unsustainable, but the key factor here is there are 5,000 businesses in hundreds of different niche markets that are actually growing. So if I was looking for customers, if I was serving business to business, that would be the first list that I'd go after. And then I would go after all the people who aren't on that list okay. who actually should be on the list. Um, so finding finding clients or, or acquiring customers is actually quite easy. Uh-huh. The reason why people struggle with it is that they're just not out there doing it. You right. Know? Um, you know, and and the other part of that is consistency. I talk about one of the things that I talk a lot of people about in business is I sit down and uh, I was talking to a company that had a fairly large sales team. Now, you know, when you've got a t- sales team of about 20 people who are out there in the market trying to generate customers all the time, the company's actually spending a lot of money on leads yeah. to yeah. feed the salespeople so they can actually do their job and sell. So they're feeding, their, they're doing their job, giving customer the, the salespeople leads. But uh, because there's so many leads, right, that the co- that the company buys, um, the salespeople never follow up because they're too busy. They're too busy always dealing with these new leads all the time, right? So when we sit there and say, uh, you know, out of every ten deals, how many would the average salesperson close? They say, oh, we'd close probably about twenty percent of all leads we get. So so, and the average sale for this particular company uh, was about fifty thousand dollars per sale. It was an average sale. So. 
Uh, for every 10 leads, they close $100,000 worth of deals, Yep, which is pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. on the opposite side of that, they lose $400,000 every time they close $100,000. Right, right. So I said, what's it like to lose $400,000 every time you make $100,000 worth of sales? <laughs> yes. And then they go, so oh, it, my God. So it's an error of omission. Exactly. So it's, it's purely just opportunity cost. So another way that businesses can actually acquire more is to make sure that they value what they generate okay. and that they follow through on that. Okay. Because there are companies that are spending or businesses tend to spend most of their energy and effort in acquiring new customers. What they don't realize is that you know most people these days don't get married on the first date. Yep. And so a couple of things that businesses need to understand from a customer acquisition point of view is that... Um, a customer will make a buy about five years ago, about 2009, Google did a study based on the massive data that, that they access through all the advertising campaigns that they run and through all the, all the, all the uh, they, they found this uh, concept or they came up with this concept called the zero moment of truth. Yes. And the zero moment of truth is that the moment when a customer decides to actually make a purchase, uh-huh. right? Well, back in 2009, uh, they found through their data mining that, people made a purchasing decision with five frames of reference. So they'd look at a website, look at a review, go on Facebook, talk to a friend, um, you know, check uh, a few few pages and then make a purchasing decision. Uh-huh. Now, we're in 2015. We're six years later. Now, the average uh, frame of reference that a customer will make a purchasing decision is 18. Yeah, that's right. I so a customer's looking at 18 frames of reference before they make a purchasing decision. So what I'm sharing, for those of you who listen to this podcast, the more engagement you have with your target market audience, the more sales you're going to make. Uh-huh. The more value, the more touch points that you create, the faster you'll make more sales. Uh-huh. What people do is they actually trawl through their leads too quickly. So if you understand if your client base and you understand the things that are relevant to them, if you touch those clients more than at least seven or eight times, you're going to increase your ability to convert sales by up to 80%. Wow, okay. Yeah, so the majority of people in business only ever follow up their customers or engage their customers once. Wow. Once. So they're losing 80% of the opportunities. You've given us some amazing um, bits of value here. So I'd I'd love to try and bring them out a little bit if that's okay, John. Uh, Something you mentioned was it's important for a business to understand what it's costing them to acquire a customer and that uh, to, to decide on how much they want to spend on a customer, they need to understand the lifetime value of a customer, which brings us to the other point, which is businesses aren't cultivating their customers, their existing customers enough. So they're just trying to cycle through acquiring new customers and trying to push more into their sales funnel rather than saying, what else can we offer to this customer? Businesses are also not understanding their customers as well as they probably should be and making enough relevant offers to their customers. So if you're a bricks and mortar business, if you're, say, in the travel industry, for example, you need to be asking yourself, well, what else does this customer want to buy when they're going on a trip? Maybe they want to buy travel bags. So the question a business should be asking themselves is, what else could I offer the customer? How many touch points can I have with this customer rather than just try to sell them a ticket and shove it in their hand and send them along their way? How many times can I interact with them through that travel experience and add more value to that journey? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that only comes from 
talking, to, actually talking to the customer and listening to customers. So, what you're talking about is most businesses, most pe- most businesses, and if we talk about the brick and mortar, the small businesses in the world, um, you know, uh, you know, eight, eighty to ninety percent of those people won't last more than three to five years. They're mm-hmm. gone. Right, so we are in a society right now. In a, in a, in a uh, from a business point of view, we are in, a re- in we are in revolutionary times. Right. It's never been easier and cheaper to start a business than ever before. It's never been um, easier to access markets and open new markets and opportunities like there is before. There is so much innovation and products and new companies starting up every single day, but the majority of these end up on the rocks of. Um, of decimation purely because they don't have a plan. They don't understand their markets. They don't even talk to their customers. I was talking to a guy the other day who uh, who has been very successful in the e-commerce market, has built quite a substantial business in e-commerce. And one of the reasons why he loves e-commerce is he's, I physically don't have to talk to the customer. Right. right. That was that was his thing. Right. <laughs> so he's built this really big business. Now I said to him, "It's really funny. I see your e-commerce business, and it's doing really well, and you don't have a lot of interaction with the customer. But here is here is he knew his major competitor. Right. Uh-huh. Here's your competitor. They started roughly around the same time you did. Uh-huh. Right. Now this the person I'm speaking to is turning over about three million dollars in their e-com business, which is pretty good for yeah. for an independent operator. That's not bad, and that's taken about uh, three years for them to build to that point. Awesome. Their their direct competitor started a year before them. Right. They're turning over 120 million dollars a year. This sounds like an error of omission, John. Well, the reason why they're turning over 120 million dollars is because they have a lot of direct contact with their customers. Exactly. They they do a lot of connection. They do a lot of calling. They talk to them. They they call them to see if the products and services they provided are okay and that they've arrived safely. And is there anything else that they could do? Are they looking for other specific products that they can offer? All the things that you just said. What are the other things that we could do for our customer? This other ecom business is actually doing. So whilst this person is saying, "Hey, I don't want to," you know, get physically engaged. This is where they're limiting their opportunity. And their error of omission is costing them. Uh, oh, tens of millions of dollars. Tens of millions. So yeah. that, that's what I meant by error of mission. They, they're only making yeah. three million when they could be making 120 million. Oh, absolutely. You know, well, even if they did a, a triple what they did, the more engagement, the more connection they have with their customer, the more revenue they have the opportunity with. And I see this with direct sales companies as well. We see these companies on TV that sell the Bowflexes and the, you know, the Ab Blasters and the you know, buy this diet or powders or buy these, you know, buy these products off us and they end up as being the most expensive coat hangers in our in our lounge rooms. Um, these direct marketing companies spend millions of dollars on TV advertising. They're very successful at selling their products. They have all the elements of a powerful marketing strategy and system. They, uh, they've, they speak to the pain point. They show, demonstrate. They have case studies and testimonials. Uh, you know, so there's these remarkable transformations. Uh, they demonstrate. They hit the product on the ground and it still works. All those sorts of things. So the actual pitch and the process is perfect. But none of these companies, and this still amazes me today, these companies are making tens of millions of dollars, in some cases hundreds of millions of dollars, never actually follow up their customers and offer them another product, ever. Right. 
So they can literally double or quadruple their sales. They, these companies have several products. Uh, one of the companies in the US is a company called QVC. You know, they're turning over about $300, $350 million a year in selling stuff on TV, you know, basically selling, you know, doing all the infomercials, right? Mm-hmm. So massive company, big company. That company has got one of the largest consumer databases on the planet. It has never emailed that database in the last 15 years of its business. So understand that as a as a company, if you you know, for me, a lot of people talk to me about you know, well, how do I generate revenue? How do how do I how do I get more? Offer more people, offer more things to the people that you do business with. Find out what they want. Get it to them faster. Look for ways of adding value. You don't have to be the cheapest on the on the planet. You you know, for me, I love being the most expensive person on the planet. You know, because if I'm the most expensive, then I'm making more profit, and at the same time, I'm also creating a much higher perception of value. Mm-hmm. And so, one, another another tactic that people uh, forget is is that most people never increase their prices. You know, they they tend to hold on to their prices as long as possible, so they actually minimise their margins. So, if you want to if you want to dramatically improve your net profit in your business faster than you'll ever generate any f- form of sale, all you need to do is increase your prices marginally. So, for example, if you discount your prices by ten percent to keep the same amount of profit that you lose on that ten percent discount, you actually need to sell twice as many items right. to maintain the level of profit, right? right. That, so that means now I've asked people now you know if we look at you know ten percent we don't look at ten percent as a great discount anymore uh-huh. you know we know that people are offering twenty percent seventy percent fifty percent so imagine how much how much more revenue they have to generate to actually maintain or to actually keep the profit that they're giving away in in the in the in the business alternatively if we increased our prices by ten percent we could afford to lose one third of our customers before we actually lost any money. And you can focus better on the customers that you've got left behind. Yeah, exactly. But also you've got this thing that that 10%, that 10% is not an increase in cost. That 10% is a pure increase in net profit. Yes. So if you had a 10% increase in net profit, sometimes that may add two to 300% on your bottom line net profit Absolutely. just by increasing prices. So to, to, what I try, try and help people understand that if you value your products and services at a higher price, your customers will value them as well. You know, perfect example of this, I had a, uh, I was trying to get rid of a, 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 a Saab convertible, you know, and I was, when I first put the car on the market, I priced it at about $1,000 less than any other car um, on the market. So I went to one of these uh, 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 car sales site, put the car up, put the photos on, and I looked at all the other cars that were selling the same similar car, and I thought, I'll just make mine $1,000 less, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it didn't sell. And it sat there for about two weeks, right? And I sat, I thought, this is crazy. So all I did was I tinted the windows of the car. Yeah. <clears throat> so I spent like, hundred. I think I spent about $180 on the tinting. And then I got... Uh, uh, somebody to detail the tires. Like it had decent mags on it, but I got them to actually go really make them stand out in black, right? So I retook the photos, put the photos up on the on the thing, and then I raised the price of the car by uh, $6,000. Uh-huh. So it was actually the most expensive one on the actual car sales. It sold within two days. Wow. So all I did was change look what, what was perceived and added value. I made the car look a little bit sportier, um, and, and it made it look different. And uh, and it sold very quickly, and you know, and that's not to say that the other cars were better or worse on the market, but 
you know, being the cheapest is not always the best strategy. There's always somebody that's going to be a dollar cheaper than you. So a lot of people tend to think that their customers are looking to push their prices down. Customers are very discerning. They're looking for value. They are looking for value in the market. That's not to say that price isn't important, but it is actually not the most important consideration when somebody makes a purchasing decision. Price is also a signaling factor, isn't it? I mean, a higher price can, in some cases, give a signal of higher value as well, which is something people should consider. Yeah, I mean, I, I always cite this example, and I've, and I've used this often, and it's even used in pricing models all over the world, uh, where you have the uh, the pricing table. So you've got the cheap price, the, the entry point price, then you have a middle price which has more value, and then you have the higher enterprise price where you have the greatest value, right? Yeah. Well, the one in the middle is the one that sells the most. Yes, McDonald's uses that as well. You know, yeah, the reason why it sells the most is because it tells people that most people buy this one and also positions the value at much greater levels than at the lowest possible price. Mm. So 80% of the market will actually p- increase their purchasing price point based on the perception of value. So if you you could change a word or a sentence or add something to a product, it immediately changes the frame of reference in that product. Yes, I remember writing a blog post about price anchoring, and I think that pricing is a very interesting topic in itself. But if you start off by creating a very low price and you try and be totally price competitive, you're actually anchoring your value along with the price at a very low level in the customer's mind, which isn't necessarily doing a service to your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, so I you know I think margins is an area that a lot of people you know miss out on um, uh, because even you know I ask people you know I've I've worked with a lot of businesses and I've seen businesses that have turned over hundreds of millions of dollars and they're losing twenty thirty million a year, right? You know, and I've sat down with the CEO and said you work you know you've built this company, you've worked an entire year, you've got a thousand people working for you, the company turns over two hundred and fifty million this year, and you made you lost. $20 million. Mm. How does that work? How is that possible? Mm. You know, that means $220 million worth of revenue has gone through your accounts mm-hmm. and you've actually paid out more than what you've actually made. Right. And a lot of that stemmed from poor purchasing decisions, very bad management of margins, and nine times out of ten, it's because they, they never exploited their customers. They never looked at the looked at the opportunities within their customer base to generate those revenue that that revenue. So I'm amazed at even big companies that are losing significant amounts of money. Um, and you can't do that for too long, by the way. The banks are not going to let you stick around if you're going to be yeah. losing twenty million dollars every every year. <laughs> but uh, but I've even seen small companies where you know you know they they've worked all year, they've made a few you know they've like two or three million dollars going through the business, and uh, and you know they end up with a loss of like thirty forty thousand dollars. Wow. You know, and and I can't fathom what it's like to work for nothing for an entire year, <laughs> because they might as well have gotten a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they would have made more money going working for somebody else and being in a business that's turning over three million dollars. You know, and losing you know fifty fifty to sixty thousand. It's crazy. So I think a lot of people, you know, you know, business is tough. You know, there's a lot of considerations that people need to make when they're in business. But if you look at if you look at businesses that do really well, uh-huh. they plan for it. You know, they fundamentally know exactly what they're doing, where they're heading, what their objective is, why they want to do it. They've got their reasoning. Uh, You know, they've got a purpose in their business as well. You know, there's two sides of the business. The purpose of the business is to actually 
deliver extraordinary value and be great to the customers you have. That's the purpose of your business. But it's the goal of your business to profit as much as possible from that purpose. And what people do is they confuse the two or they actually have it switch it around. They're trying to make as much money as possible out of the business, right? Um, and then it's like, well, we'll serve our customers, you know, secondary. So profit first, customers second, Got it. right? That's such a good point. If you flip it and say, hey, if we're awesome to the people that we do business with, yep. they're going to buy more of our stuff. They're going to talk about us more often. They're going to bring more customers to us in our business because a lot of businesses rely on word of mouth, right, mm. on, on recommendations. That's why all these review sites are popping up everywhere. You know, you've got Yelp and all these directories, uh, you know, Yellow Pages where they've all, all these five-star ratings are popping up. People are paying attention. People are looking for companies that are serving better. You know, so if your purpose as a company is to be great to your clients and at the same time that you maximize your profitability from being great, that's awesome. Most businesses have it the other way around and that's why they fail. Such an excellent right? insight. So purpose first, get clear on your purpose, which is how you're going to provide awesome value to your customers and then figure out the how, which is getting profit while delivering on your purpose. Oh, absolutely. And you want to do it as much. And, and the other thing is there's a broad spectrum of how you uniquely position yourself in a market as well. There, you know, there's, there's dozens of ways to set yourself apart from your competitors. And sometimes, I know we've been talking about pricing, but sometimes pricing is a competitive advantage. You know, there are businesses that are solely built around the discount model. And they do very well, but they manage their margins very successfully. So they can afford or they can operate in that volume market of creating volume sales at low yes. margins. And they're usually all over their cost base. They understand their costs very well. They're very strong across their numbers. Yeah, exactly. They know they know their numbers. So they can afford they can use pricing as a competitive advantage and still make a profit, mm. right? Whereas uh, whereas other companies don't use the pricing model as their as their advantage. They're using maybe the fact that they've got a broad range or they the fact that they actually have a unique range that other companies don't actually sell. If you look at some of the luxury brands of the market, you know, uh, you know, uh, well, let's look at handbags for a second, right? Mm -hmm. So, we, you know, if we look at Louis Vuitton, Chanel, uh, Hermes, Prada, uh, Gucci, they're all premium brands, mm -hmm. right, in, in the market. Most of these companies are multi-billion dollar brands globally, worldwide. Mm -hmm. They don't sell cheap bags. You know, they're selling handbags at three to five to $20,000, right? And whereas if you look at their competitors, the smaller companies, they're selling bags at $300 or $500 or $800, mm -hmm. right? If you look at a company like Louis Vuitton, it doesn't discount ever. Mm. It's, they, you'll, never hear, you'll never see the word sale in an LV store ever, right? And people go in and they know what the price is. You can't negotiate the price. They'll say, you want this bag? This is what the price is, uh -huh. right? This is, you're buying a brand. You're buying an experience. You're buying a, a, you're buying a sense of status, achievement. There's all this emotional attachment to those significant brands. Your classic premium positioning. Yeah. So, so how you set yourself apart is a key part of your marketing strategy. And the question that businesses should be asking themselves is, why should I? Why should somebody buy from me as opposed to go to a competitor? And the more reasons you find that are in line with the customer's desire, the faster you're going to make more sales. Because once you connect with that message, once you connect with that idea, um, you're, that is that becomes the cornerstone of all your branding and marketing.
If you if you can uniquely position yourself in that market, Apple is a perfect example of this, right? Um, you know, they've built an enormous and amazing brand. Their why is to is to create that experience, to build amazing products, to do it differently. You know, now they only own fifteen to seventeen percent of the market share, yet they're the most profitable company in the world. Yes, right. And so, and they're the best pre-sellers in the world. They'll tell you a product's coming a year before it comes. Mm. They, they, you can buy the product before it's actually launched. And then on launch day, there's miles of people standing out in front of their stores saying, hey, I've got to get the new thing. Yep. And they're not the cheapest product in the market. They're, no. they're a premium brand, premium price. And right? they barely ever and discount. They, they very rarely discount, or there are discounters in that market for their, for their accessories and their products. But as a company, uh, they don't discount at all on their no. websites. Um, um, so yeah, so if you look at if you look at those those types of companies, and I know that's an iconic example, uh, the question would be is how does a small business do that? But that's a great example, John, of your point earlier, which is they are very clear on their purpose, which is deliver spectacular value to their customers. And by the way, deliver a great customer experience, not just with one product, but with multiple products. They come with the iPhone, the iPad, the, you know, it started off with an iPhone, but now they're doing Macs, everything. So they, they very clear on their purpose. And then they figured out how to make profit while delivering on that purpose, which was your point earlier on. It's it's really funny, uh, and and I've I've just noticed this, and I do a lot of traveling uh, around the world, and when I see Macs, I'm forever seeing people cleaning their Mac screens. Yeah, I never see people cleaning a PC screen. <laughs> I always see people cleaning their Mac screen, you know, keeping their product because it's you know as shiny or as or as clean as possible. It's quite quite interesting that that uh, that that brand has created such a, a you know a, a reverence around the quality of the product. Yeah. It's a culture. I mean, Apple sets the tone with their packaging. If you look at their packaging, it's immaculate. They set the tone right from the beginning, right? I mean, they've been known to be quite obsessive about how they do their packaging for their products. But when you do receive an Apple product, you do feel like you're doing something that is quite um, sacred almost. You know, you, you're oh, yeah. a product it's, that's it's, beautiful. It's just an absolute it's, beautiful experience even unwrapping it. You've hit the word on the, you know, the nail on the head. It is an experience. They create a user experience. You come into our stores and use all our products. Come and use our internet. Come and send messages from our stores. Yeah. Uh, come and charge your phone in our stores. Yeah. You know, come and play with our our products. You know, uh, you know they they you know from a retail experience, they're probably one of the best retailers in the world. I really like how they started off with the iPod, but they've taken that, as you suggest, as you pointed out earlier, they've taken the iPod, they started off creating an amazing experience with the iPod when they reinvented themselves, and then they've extended it into the iPad, into the Mac, into the MacBook Air, now they're looking at the iPad Mini, now they're looking at an iPad Pro, which is due to be announced tomorrow, I believe. So there's all sorts of things they're coming up with and adding additional products to an existing customer experience rather than trying to shovel more customers in the top end of their funnel. They are do, they're penetrating more deeply into the existing customer experience. They're selling more products yep. to less customers rather than getting more customers and selling the same product to them. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why they'll still maintain you know, their profitability as a company because uh, they've taught their customers very well. You know, They've taught their customers to expect a new product. I mean, I've I've had I think I've I've had uh, four iterations of the iPhone. Uh, I'm onto my I've, I've got the iPhone six, the, the new one. Uh, you know, uh, will I upgrade? Probably, maybe not on the next iteration, but the iteration after that, I'd probably upgrade to the to, to that iteration. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, the the idea is that 
they have created they've thought about who their clients are and they've been very clear about the message and they've built that that engagement and so if a small business were to take some of those aspects away you know how can you create an experience i mean i'll give you a classic example uh, one of the strategies that i teach in terms of customer acquisition if you want big clients uh, then you need to understand big clients so you know there, I, i'm a big fan of uh, acquiring big customers. So when I say big customers, customers that will spend a million dollars with you, mm-hmm. uh, or spend you know half a million or multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars with you, where generally you would think that they would spend that kind of money with bigger agencies, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so my thing is, is that these the people that you're dealing with that level are human beings. Mm-hmm. What they're interested in is results. They're looking for somebody who will come in. Uh, provide a fresh perspective and look at ways of adding value and looking at ways of enhancing their business, basically. So if you can focus on those sorts of things, to get into the big big playing market, it doesn't take actually a lot of effort. It's actually quite, it's actually probably easier to get into the bigger markets than it is to get into smaller markets. Right. You know, um, because they're more accessible. They're, 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 they're easy to find. Um, uh, there are multiple touch points that you can have with people who are, uh, are in larger companies. Um, and also, they're very easy to map out. So you can actually see the buying behavior of those companies um, and, and, and how they engage and interact. And then you can basically model your approach to the way that they behave. You know? Okay. Uh, so so the, average, the average sales cycle for a large company or large contract is between, anywhere between six to eight weeks is about for a large contract. It could extend out to 12 weeks depending on the, the dollar value of the, the deal that you're creating. Um, but the larger the deal, the longer the sales cycle. Right, uh-huh. but the average purchasing decision of a major, for a major deal of that multi six figure up to the million dollar uh, bracket is anywhere between that two month to six month period. Is okay. about the average. Okay. So what most people do is they give up too early. Uh, right. Again, we go back to that story: not enough touch points, not enough building relationships, not enough building likability and trust. Uh, they're too quick to walk away. You know, if you want to get into people. Acknowledge them. If you want to get, if you want to engage people uh, at significant levels and do bigger deals, look at look at the people that you're engaging. Spend some time understanding them. Get to know them. Talk to them. Create multiple touch points. It's no different to nurturing a, a, a customer, right? What you're doing is you're building a relationship so that they sit there, they see that you're a person that look that looks to add value. If you're adding value, they're going to be asking you questions like. How do we how do we engage you? How do we get you involved with us? Mm. So rather than you going to them, you're getting them to come to you. Right, which is right. a pull selling approach. Exactly. Yep. So okay. there's plenty of ways to there's plenty of ways to 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 uh, you know to grow and engage businesses. So John, no surprises here. Like when we talk every time, you've just blown me away with really great insights. So I'd like to just recap on some of them as we've been talking. One of the questions I was going to ask is how does a business go about increasing average customer spend? And we already touched on it. And that is by making more offers, more relevant offers to your clients, understand your clients. Um, Some of the key obstacles businesses face is they're not making enough offers. They're not getting to understand their customers. They're not uh, spending enough time talking to their customers. They're just trying to throw offers at their customers without having any detailed insight about their customers. So some action points for a business to take and for listeners to take is get very clear about your purpose. What is the purpose that you, what is the purpose of your business? Apple's example of their purpose is to create an amazing customer experience and then create a plan around that purpose, which includes creating 
profit through delivering on that purpose, which is creating very relevant, high-quality products. Don't get obsessed with low pricing. Pricing can be a signal, and it can be a signal of good value. Focus on the value you're delivering rather than try to be price competitive all the time. Uh, it's quite easy to find big clients because they're more visible. Uh, the sales cycle takes anything between two and six months, depending on the size of the deal. But you can map the purchasing decision and the purchasing path of a big client more easily. So don't be intimidated by the idea of big clients. Don't give up too quickly on the big clients and recognize that, you know, the cycle takes between two to six months. Uh, how am I going? Have I missed on anything? I think we've, I think we've covered a lot there. I think uh, one of the questions that you were also asking me is, you know, what are the key obstacle, obstacles of obtaining, you know, more customers um, and how do they overcome those sorts of obstacles? I, I, I don't see attaining customers. I, I, if a business is having difficulty attaining customers, then they should not be in business. You know, um, you know, you know. If, they, they, if if you're having trouble getting clients, then figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. very very quickly. Because if you don't figure it out, you're not going to be in business for long. Um, so, in terms of acquire, acquiring customers, uh, there are so many ways that you can do that. Uh, inexpensively, freely, or cheaply, but you know, for me, the, the the best thing you can do is invest. Invest in your marketing, invest in your advertising, invest in your promotion, and measure everything. Test, test, test. You know, nothing. Nothing I'm sharing with uh, with you today is new. I mean, we've been doing business like this. You know, for six thousand years, you know, uh, people still used to refer people back in you know ancient you know Egyptian times. People would refer a good vendor mm-hmm. to other people. So we, there's nothing different. How we distribute, how we engage. Uh, the only thing that's changed is the mechanism of our delivery, right? The ability to go faster, the ability to reach more. The global economy is is really uh, uh, coming together with a with a significant force now. Um, but understand that even from a global economy, only twelve percent of all purchases are made online. Mm-hmm. Only twelve percent account for. If you look at globally, e-commerce only accounts for twelve percent of the purchasing that's done online. That means eighty eight percent of all purchases are still done offline. Mm-hmm. Now, it is growing. That 12% is going to grow to about 24 27% probably in the next 5 to 10 years. And so that's going to have a significant impact on, on how we buy. But, it's, but if 88% of people are still going direct, mm-hmm. you know, the opportunities are phenomenal for business. Mm. So get clear, get a plan in place, and go and make an offer as quickly as possible. You want to make money today? Actually, a mutual friend of ours reminded me of something John Carlton said. Mm -hmm. John Carlton said, you're only one email away from your next big paycheck. Yes. You know, and I thought, what what an interesting statement because often when I've gone and made an offer, I've made money. Right. You know, I only did it the other day. I put a campaign together that was very relevant for a very small list and I had a significant amount of revenue come from that very, very simple offer. You know, and the other thing is if you're gonna offer, don't offer once, offer multiple times. Okay. So if you're gonna if you've got an offer out there, back it up. You know, my favorite sequence uh, that that I often talk to people about, which is really easy and it works every single time that I've done it, is create a relevant offer, uh-huh. send it out. Then send out the, a follow-up campaign. Your follow-up campaign is, I just want to make sure you got the offer so you didn't miss out, uh-huh. right? Then the next follow-up campaign is, hey, I'd uh, love to know what you thought about the offer, if it was something that was relevant to you and of interest to you. And then the last piece of that campaign is, are you interested? Would you like to go ahead? 
right? Right. So instead of just creating a promotion and just putting it out there, a one-shot deal, which is what most businesses do when they advertise, right, uh-huh. have, a, have a process that you want to maximize your conversions. Remember the zero moment of truth. Uh-huh. Multiple touch points creates a dramatic improvement in conversions. So instead of running one campaign, just set your campaign up to remind people that, hey, we've got a campaign. Huh. You know, you can use scarcity. You can use time uh, time uh, allocation or constraints. You can use quantity, right? Huh. Uh, you can even make up the excuse that you made a mistake. Uh, I have a friend. In fact, we have a mutual friend that we I did this strategy with where he didn't even have the product. He told a supplier to go and take a photo of a pallet of stock, yes. right? And then he sent an email out saying, hey, we made a mistake. We bought all the stock and it's sitting in our showroom. We need to get rid of it. So they negotiated a deal with the supplier to clear out their pallet stock. Now, they didn't even handle distribution of stock. The supplier did it. So they didn't even own the stock, right? They collected the money, paid for the stock up front, had it delivered by the by the provider or by the supplier who had the stock. They had no hands on the product at all. The reason why they did it is because they thought, hey, we haven't got anything happening this month as a promotion uh, and, you know, we can't think for ourselves like we've got to create something very quickly. So why don't we just go and promote somebody else's product oh. to our list that was relevant? Like we talked about before, find a way like your travel agent, find an, find an associated product or a service that's relevant to their purchase and make an offer. The biggest insight I'm getting from this conversation is rather than trying to go wide, go deep. So rather than trying to acquire a broad range of customers, try and go deeper into the experience with one individual customer or with a smaller number of customers. Try and sell them more products, sell them more offers. When you do make an offer, don't just make one offer and then assume that they've read it. Reiterate your offer three or four times to make sure that they received it because in today's information overload age, chances are they've missed it or they read it and they forgot about it. Yeah, and the the one the other thing also is you want to monitor your offer as well. So you know, if you want to maximize your conversions, pick up the phone and talk to your customers. Uh, the number of people who, who email back and forth or text back and forth, just pick up the phone, have a, ask the question. It's amazing how many sales you would make by just engaging physically. Okay. You know, uh, because the customer's ready to buy. You know, uh-huh. all, with this ticky tacky back and forth, all you're doing is delaying the inevitable result. You know, so so you know the key here is is that you want yes you want to watch your numbers yes you want to see what's going on, but at the same time if you want to increase your conversions and get better results, go and talk to the people who are going to spend the money with you because they'll tell you, they'll tell you everything they'll tell you exactly what they want how they want it why they want it, and if you can find that information out and craft your offers around those sorts of things, that's a license to print money. Cool. And John, how can listeners find out more about you and get in contact with you? There's probably two places, the easiest places. One, they can go to businessunleashed.com or they can go to consultingunleashed.com. One is a podcast that's got heaps of free uh, advice information and live case studies of some of the things that I talked about on this episode. Uh Um, The other is for people who are looking to scale and grow a consulting business from their skills. Um, I, you know, I, I look to help those people to take to value their value themselves and value those skills, and then how they can go and actually target uh, high end clients to actually invest in their services. Okay, is there anything else you would like to mention that I didn't ask you that I should have asked? Uh, I think one of the questions you asked me is what book has had the greatest impact yes, yes. on me and why. Um, 
you know, I've, I thought about that question and there are so many great books. Uh, it's really funny. I'm traveling at the moment. I'm, I'm in San Diego um, and, and traveling over throughout the US and I have my Kindle with me and I before I left, I purchased uh, – uh, uh, three books, but I actually repurchased a book that is very tired and dog-eared that I absolutely love. In fact, it was probably the first book of its kind that I ever read. I read it when I was 17 years old. I've probably read this book uh, uh, dozens of times throughout my uh, business life and, and career. Uh, and it's and it's and every time I pick it up, there's always something new in this book. And it was written by Dale Carnegie. It was a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. One of my favorite, uh, my sayings, uh, and I don't know where this came from, but I often find myself uh, saying this, and I try and teach people this as well: is to have a friend, you want to be one first. And if you're if you're a friend to your clients, and if you're a friend to the people that you do business with, and you're a friend to the people who are around you and your peers, you'll do extraordinary things. And I think Jay Abraham coined the phrase of preeminence. If you come to your customers with a level of preeminence where they understand that you hold them and you revere them at the highest value, they'll do anything for you. you know? So if I was to pick a book, it would be How to Win Friends and Influence People. I love that book. Probably one of the best books I think ever written. I think it was written in the 1920s, about 1929, I think it was first published. It's millions of copies and, and I've had several, several copies and given away several copies, but uh, it's the one book that keeps coming back to me because the fundamental principles and the ideas of that book are extraordinary. I love that book too. And John, I must say, you've been a pretty good friend to me, so thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Ash. Good to talk to you. Likewise. So that was an information-packed episode, and I hope you got a lot of value out of it. So just to recap on a few of the key points in the episode, John talked about how he uses strong acquisition and retention strategies to increase profitability. One of the biggest mistakes that businesses make is to treat their business like a promotion rather than an ongoing relationship with their customers that they cultivate. So the solution is start by knowing who your customers are, get to really understand them and make an offer and spend a significant amount of money on advertising. A big mistake that businesses make is they don't spend enough on advertising. If you understand your customers' buying habits and their motivations, you're likely to find out how to create a profitable business pretty quickly. We talked about Google's study in 2009 about the zero moment of truth and how customers now need 18 frames of reference as opposed to something like three or four frames of reference six years ago before they make a purchase decision. So it's very important to have multiple touch points with your customer. If you have seven or eight touch points with your customer, you're 80% more likely to make sales. Price can be a signaling factor and a higher price often does signal higher value. So don't be shy to price your product or service at premium positioning if your product does offer premium value. We talked about price anchoring and how that impacts the customer's perception of pricing. We talked about how Apple, for example, executes on the clear purpose that they have, and that is to deliver a spectacular customer experience, but they do so with a lot of clarity. So I hope you found this podcast useful. I certainly did. If you did find it useful, please share it with your friends and please leave a positive review in iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. Now, some related podcasts that you might find useful are episode number one with Neil Patel, where we talked about branding and how to make better business decisions. Episode number two with James Schramko, where we talked about recurring income. You'll probably enjoy the episodes with Dan Norris, which is episode number 11 and number 12 on startups and content marketing and how he uses content marketing and how he uses 
his content marketing to grow his startup. I think you'd really enjoy the podcast that I did with Ed O'Keefe. That's episode number 22 called $50 million and counting. And podcast number tw- and podcast number 43, which is on the membership economy with Robbie Baxter. And that's on recurring income models. Now, if you would like to book a consulting session with me, please head over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash hire. That's ProductiveInsights.com forward slash H-I-R-E. And I'll help you take your business to the next level. Talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?